Welcome to 90834. It's the weekly podcast where guests share the biggest lessons they've learned in therapy. In each episode, I'll pose two questions. What were you looking to resolve by going to therapy? And what did you really end up getting out of therapy? I'm Shannon Miller, a licensed clinical social worker in private practice who has the privilege of spending every day watching the therapeutic process lead to unexpected and beautiful places. In this episode, we have the pleasure of welcoming a 49-year-old man living in Mexico whose parents gave him the name Craig at birth, but he now goes by Gregorio. His therapeutic process lasted from around 2006 to 2013. Let's start off with just asking, why did you go to therapy? In 2006, I hit rock bottom for, I'd like to say the last time, but it was just one of many times. And I was living in a part of Boston called Alston. It's like a borough of Boston. And I I really looked at my life. I'll correction, it was more like 2005, but there's like the, the context around the beginning to therapy. I had just looked at my life and I realized that I didn't want to be alive anymore. I didn't want to die. It's not like I wanted to end my life. It's just that I didn't want to have my life be the way it was. It's kind of a funny thing to say, I suppose. But I just got to this breaking point where I had this huge public meltdown, one of many. <laughs> and uh, uh, But this one was like extra bad on my scale of what's ba- a bad public meltdown. This is pretty much up there at the, at the king, the king of the public meltdowns, right? I just looked at my life and I said, I can't continue to be like this. And I, I took myself out of the situation and I moved to a different part of Boston called Jamaica Plain, like really way across the city. I looked in the phone book uh, because I and I started calling therapists and, and trying to find somebody because I didn't want to live like I was anymore. I said to myself, I'm going to try one last time to fix me, not really fix me, but to, to get better or I was going to like walk away from life. And you know exactly what that means. That's what led me to therapy, I guess, a, a desire to not suffer in the way that it was, maybe to suffer in a, a, a better way, I guess. The way, the way in, in which you, in were, which suffering? you were suffering? Yeah, uh, thank you for asking. Um, my mother is what you would, uh, what could be described as somebody who has, like, I don't like these terms either, but like a, a personality disorder. I don't ever want to use these diagnostic terms, but she's not. A, a healthy person. Let's just say that she's way off the charts. Part of like why the therapist, I'm, I'm happy to speak with you about like my experiences. So powerful is because my this woman, this therapist I had, it was able to identify the depth of depravity that my, my mother, how my mother was. And she was able to help protect me from her. Uh, and so basically I grew up in a household of what, how do you describe it? Okay, so on the outside, uh, everything looked great, and I was like the terribly sick, you know, mental health in need of services child. Uh, and my parents were like the most ideal and like best people in society, good, upstanding people. Lots of money, lots of uh, um, involvement in the Jewish uh, community and the legal system, mental health advocates. Uh, but behind closed doors, they were vicious abusers in their attempts to somehow make sense of why their son was acting weird whatever that means, they put me through a series of seven years of trying to find a therapist or a psychiatrist that would um, agree with them that there was something wrong with me. And what they found out was no amount of money was enough to uh, pay a doctor or a therapist to uh, diagnose me with some sort of mental health condition each and every time that 
teletherapist or a psychiatrist, like, look at our son. We brought him into your office. Look how sick he is. They would say to him, they would say to my mother, my father, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Lewis, uh, you actually are not mentally healthy. You are dysfunctional. You need help. Your son is reacting to you. And then my mother would immediately take me out of that person's care uh, and then go look for another provider. Ultimately, they found a, I don't know what their role was, but a mental health professional who they could get to believe them, right? They locked me up. But the point of all this is that the reason why I know this is because I ended up reconnecting with a former therapist that I had in 1986, 1986, and I went to meet him in person for a free session, and he told me in that session that my parents were doctor shopping. As you know, what the word doctor shopping is connected to, it's like Munchausen's syndrome by proxy, which is now known as fictitious disorder imposed upon another, which for those who don't know is when a family member creates a situation or scenario where the child or the person uh, is sick. They actually become sick. And I actually became sick because of my parents' like delusional uh, you know, obsession with me being mentally ill. And uh, they had me psychiatrized and I was drugged. And it's all because of like my correct, healthy uh, response, I guess we'll call it, or trauma response to the sickness that they were like surrounding me with day in, day out for my entire life behind closed doors. And the reality that like when we were not in that closed door environment, that I was the bad guy or the bad kid in need of help. And everyone thought I was crazy and sick. But the truth is very, very different. I'm just sort of stunned into silence. Oh, well, you wouldn't be the first one. And uh, I hope someday you'll be the last. Were you given a diagnosis of any sort? False diagnosis of schizophrenia uh, when I was 15 years old. Yeah, I, I know what my parents did. I know what they did to me. And in part, I've saved my life by talking about it. I have risked everything and I lost everything by talking about it. That's why I don't live in the United States anymore. <laughs> uh, but I also like gained everything. And so life's sort of like a, it's sort of like walking a, a balance beam. Like you're at the Olympics, and like the only way you're going to win the gold is if you do it perfectly. But who knows how to walk a balance beam perfectly to that level unless, unless you've been forced to learn how. So that's sort of like me, and I just hope it works out. I believe it will. In 2006, you started working with a therapist, and you still have an ongoing relationship with this person? That is correct. I've not spoken with her for a while because uh, of different reasons, but... I've been thinking about it every day. So I'm mm-hmm. going to, I'm going to, yeah, she's cool. I'm going to contact her. Yeah. How did the therapeutic process start for you? Okay. So this woman, and like, this is why I, I, re- I responded to this, this, this opportunity is so amazing. I, I, I was disappointed and let let down and given a run around and treated like a sick person my entire life. The way I connected with this amazing therapist is a beautiful story, actually. I moved to this new part of Boston called Jamaica Plain, and I looked in the phone book. I started calling local therapists, and I left a voicemail. The person I left it for, like, however the process happened, had a colleague in the same building, and he said to her, you should listen to this guy's message. I think he's a good person for you to talk to. And so then she called me, and she said, hey, I listened to your message, and like I just said, you might be a good person to come speak with me. I said, okay. So I went in. And I sat down and she said, she said, tell me about your life. And I looked at her and I said, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. And she said, this is the most brilliant thing that a therapist has ever said to me. 
She said, well, if you don't want to talk about it, you shouldn't be here. And she challenged me in that moment. She was like, ah, don't waste my time, kid. I said, okay. I told her my story. And at the end of the session, she said to me, uh, she said, I understand you. Or I can, I understand what you're telling me. If you uh, want to work with me, I'll do everything I can to help to help you uh, live a better life. I said, well, that's like the, uh, the best pitch that I've ever heard from a mental health provider. I was like, heck yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and then I went to see her and I saw her like once or twice a week for years and years and years. Like the second session, she said something like, well, I don't know when she said it to me. She said, you know, uh, when you, came to see me for that for that for that first meeting just to meet you. I actually didn't have space in my in my calendar uh to see you. I had I was fully booked. And she said, so that's why that's why we meet on Tuesday at Tuesdays at five o'clock, because I had to make an extra appointment with you at the end of the day because I wanted to. I was like, I decided because I'm a smart person who just had been prevented from living and learning and all these things that I was going to find some sort of way to allow all the information she was trying to give to me become like infused within me. And and she knows this about me to this day. Like I took what she taught me as like an uneducated street kid, like living in squalor amongst violence and all this terrible stuff. I'm still that uneducated street kid, but I mean, everyone knows I'm like high level brilliant. It's just the, the world treated me the way it did. So things happened. Uh, and I, I took all of that in and I took all the information she taught me and I became like, like a radical mental health provider, worker, like peer supporter, whatever. And I took her lessons. I traveled the world, even though my whole life was in chaos. I took all that that she taught me. I just um, disseminated, I guess, or I shared that knowledge, all that wisdom that became wisdom with everyone I met. And so I got myself into a funny situation where like, even though I come from where I come from, I get to talk with people like you. Not only that, I took all that she taught me and I turned it into a life of value, not only for myself, but I can share that information with others. All because I got this like radical therapeutic experience with somebody who chose to help me when she didn't have to, but because she wanted to. And I thought that was just the best gift that anyone who worked in mental health could ever give somebody. And I decided if I was going to have that gift given to me, I was going to give that to everyone else. And that's what I've done with my life. So every Tuesday at five, you were spending an hour with her. At least uh, one Tuesday at five. Well, I guess every Tuesday at five, but sometimes on Thursdays if she had extra space. Okay. What were some of the first lessons that she taught you that you can still remember? On my tattoo, I know we're just doing a, a audio recording here, but it says the words, you don't unlearn progress. And I used to ask her, I said, you're telling me that we, when, when we humans, when we learn a skill or, or we learn some sort of like um, method of dealing with the things that we feel and we think and we've experienced that affect us, that once you have proven that you can do it, that you can always do it. Meaning like you could be a person who struggled like with everything and always felt like they could never get beyond those challenges, right? But if you can just find a way to do it once, even if it's by a fluke because of some like inexplicable reason that you were able in one moment out of a hundred and one attempt out of a hundred to successfully self-manage yourself. That if you could do it one time, then you could do it another time. Meaning like, like you had the power within you and, and no matter what happened, if you can find a way that you can do it again. So her words, you don't unlearn progress. 
Well, that's that's the truth. It was through your relationship with her that you began to undo years and years and years of trauma and trauma with a big T. Oh, yeah. No, all capital letters. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it was really interesting. You'll appreciate this is that that process was one process. And then there was the, the second process, which is trying to uh, live in the world after you've like come out and dealt with and talked about and exposed and like tried to accept that stuff that happened to you to then learn how to get through all of it and then live the life that you deserve to live. I guess that means like therapy is a lifelong process, whether you're meeting with somebody in person or you're just taking the lessons and you're trying to apply them each and every day to better yourself. Self-therapy, I suppose. Talk a little bit about how life outside of the therapy room, you know, the outside world, how things began to change as you were going through the therapeutic process. So during the early days of my my therapeutic journey, I guess we'll call it, uh, I was gung-ho about uh, doing anything and everything that I possibly could to benefit myself, uh, accessing resources, finding ways to like benefit my life, take control over all parts of my life. And part of that process was uh, that I found out that I could be trained to be something called a certified peer specialist. And so I was able to take the work that I was doing on myself to learn how to cope and learn how to manage and learn how to make sense of like where I came from and what my parents did to me. And then, you know, be educated, and, and I was never educated, so, and take all those lessons that I was learning in school and also in my personal healing journey with my therapist, and then uh, at some point be able to work with others and help other people as a professional mental health provider of some sort. And so I had this rare and radically cool opportunity that while I was going through therapy, and I, as I've already shared, my story was a little bit horrendous. Yeah, I was self-identified as a person who had mental I-L-L-N-E-S-S, which I don't say that word. But in fact, I could then tell people also that in spite of or in addition to or however however you want to say it, of having this issue with my life and all this weird behavior, that also I was, I was respected so much or I was included into a, a process where I could learn how to be a mental health worker to help others. So this was like my reality, working on myself trying to learn the lessons that I was being taught by my therapist, learning how to cope, learning how to manage, learning how to self-advocate, learning how to try to navigate relationships and how to do stuff. And at the same time, well, maybe a couple of years into therapy, help others do the same. So I was able to, in like one fell swoop, state to the world, because this is so important for me to be understood, all these things happened to me. I've had all these issues. This is what I go through. And at the same time, I'm also helping other people learn how to cope with their similar issues. That right there was a life transformative thing because no longer did I just have to be the sick person, but I was the person who was actively publicly processing it and helping others via my journey simply by living and doing it. You flipped the power dynamic completely. Oh yeah. And, and you know what, Shannon, like my story really is that I wasn't supposed to do that. You're not supposed to get better. You're not supposed to stop following the psychiatric model. So you are working as a peer mentor while simultaneously going through your own therapeutic process. Tell me what what that's like for you. What comes next? That changed my life forever. I mean, in great ways, in bad ways. But at the same time, when you look at life and you have to look at your experiences, you realize 
that good and bad or great and awful are like just values, that everything is what it is if you, if you can accept the, the lesson. I had the most amazing, amazing things happen to me. I was working. I had different jobs. I was involved with lots of public mental health recovery organizations and advocacy groups. And um, I was making a difference in my life and in the lives of others. I finally got a really good professional job. And as I was working as a, on a professional case management team in, in, in the inner city in Boston, and that was wonderful for me because I look how I look. <laughs> well, appearances can be um, deceiving. So I really treasured the fact that I was who I was and how I, how I came up and what I knew. And I could help people who were just like me, but had it even worse because of the way society is. Throughout this whole journey of healing, I was able to do something unexpected as well, uh, which was I created I created a, a curriculum for like a self-help or like support group, uh, mental health recovery, trauma recovery, addiction recovery curriculum as part of my you know, practicum to become a mental health worker. Uh, so I was able to publish this book called... Uh, called okay. Better Days, a Mental Health Recovery Workbook in 2013. It sold like 10,000 copies and it's in eight different languages. That's what I did uh, throughout this whole process. And I was able to make a permanent mark on the mental health recovery world. By the time it was 2015, uh, and I had just announced to the world, because it was my right to speak my truth and be understood, my human right, my birthright, that I was no longer uh, with the documented diagnosis of any mental ILLNAS, that my mental health files had the word debunked next to all the diagnoses, and that the psychiatric psychiatric team that was working with me told me that if I didn't stop taking psychiatric drugs, that I'd never get better. And uh, as of April 30th, 2015, I swelled the last of 80,000 pills over the course of 28 years. If you could appreciate uh, that very month, uh, while working at a, as a new, at a new role at a different job, after I just moved in with a girlfriend, a partner for the first time in my entire life, while working, uh, as you can imagine, I was a mandated reporter, and I reported something that I saw, and it turns out that I, I was correct. I had to report to the same institution, which is the Department of Mental Health, and that was the end of me. My career, my life, my my everything was taken by the same organization that oversaw me having my life taken uh, 28 years prior. From that point on, which is the, I guess, the fall of 2015, I, I haven't had a job since my entire life collapsed. Everything was taken. I lost my home. I lost all my belongings, my friends. Uh, my family gave me an ultimatum and they said, if you don't stop talking about what we did to you, you'll never have a family again. Obviously, I'm talking with you right now, Shannon, so that means I don't have a family at all. I ended up just... Uh, Falling to pieces. Everyone thought I was sick. They all said I needed to take my medication, but that was false. I became um, blacklisted. I got in trouble uh, with everybody. I lost everything. And ultimately, by January 2018, I just said, well, since I'm going to be homeless at the end of the month, I'm just going to leave. I jumped ship. I left everything I had behind, and I bought a one-way ticket to France. I uh, spent the next year and a half or so homeless. But I figured if I was going to be homeless, I might as, be, might as well be homeless in Europe. So I just took that whole, uh, my whole story of what happened to me and what I was going through. And I decided if I was going to be in Europe, I was just going to have a good time. So I traveled to almost all the countries in the European continent. I turned my life into something uh, of value in defiance of everything that was done to me. I know that you're living in Mexico. Tell me what the way forward is for you. Um, life's very hard. I'm trying to find ways to radically change things. It's very hard when you don't have a family, you don't have education, you don't have assets. Uh, nevertheless, 
Uh, I'm trying to put my books into the hands of the people because I can make a good living doing that. If I'm successful at that, I'm trying to uh, take care of myself on a daily basis because life is very hard without basic needs met, but I'm getting better. I just started a new uh, online, I guess we'll call it peer counseling uh, business, and we're, we're debuting as we speak. So I'm hoping that uh, I can continue to find good people who want to connect with somebody who knows what they're talking about, about real radical trauma recovery, finding ways through the, the darkness. And honestly, I'm just trying to uh, keep my head above water, uh, try to be a good person, try to be a good friend, you know, love myself, love other people unconditionally, be good to animals. The truth is, I, I, I think I'm going to die every day, but that's okay because each morning that my eyes open, I'm going to go with it. That's that's one of the blessings that I was given by having a therapist who taught me that there was always a way to, to, to move forward. On that note, I think we're at a good place to wrap up for today. Thank you, Gregorio, for taking the time and effort to connect with us. I know you're in a remote location in Mexico and it's not always easy. So we will really appreciate the effort that you put in um, to come and share your story with us. We wish you the best of luck as your healing journey continues. If you are looking to rediscover and redefine your relationship with spirituality, the therapist at Apricity Expat Therapy can help. We use various therapeutic techniques such as cognitive behavioral therapy, trauma-focused approaches, mindfulness, and inner child work to help you strive to heal and reclaim your personal power. We can help you develop healthy coping strategies, challenge negative beliefs, and rebuild or build for the first time your sense of self-esteem and autonomy. If you are ready to begin this process, please schedule an initial consultation at www.apricityexpattherapy.com. Dot com.